When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. We did an episode on dogs early on, so we owed one to cats. And what better time for a feline feature than the day of Halloween? But the cats were so philosophical that they demanded a special with several parts. Or should we say, several paws. So welcome to our Halloween special. In this part of our Halloween special, I am talking with John Guillory about Montaigne's cat. John, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, my name is John Guillory. I'm a professor in the English department at NYU. I'm a specialist in Renaissance literature, though I write about other things as well. So what does Montaigne have to say about cats? Well, Montaigne has one very famous sentence about a cat. And it comes in a much longer section of a very long essay that he wrote called An Apology for Raymond Sabond. And I don't think I can make sense of the passage in this essay or the essay without giving you a little bit of context about why Montaigne was interested in in cats and more uh, extensively in animals. Montaigne, who's a very famous philosopher writer of the 16th century, Uh, What he was interested in in the essay was in trying to determine what human beings could really know about the world. And he was contending with a very strong argument that had been reintroduced from antiquity, a set of philosophical positions that came to be known as skepticism uh, in antiquity. And we, of course, have inherited that word, and and it has an obvious and, and readily available meaning for us. Uh, But skepticism was very challenging uh, in the 16th century for religious believers, and especially religious believers like Montaigne and his contemporaries who were struggling with conflicting religious beliefs in the wake of the Protestant Reformation. So Catholicism and Protestantism were literally at war with each other, and people were actually dying, being sent to the stake burned at the stake because they did not believe what those in authority or others thought they should believe. So Montaigne sets about to write this essay on skepticism with the question, what, what is it that human beings can know? And what he tries to show is that, in fact, human beings can know very little. We have almost no certain knowledge about most of the things that interest us in the world. And he says famously at a later point in the essay, Cassasia, he's writing in French, of course, what do I know? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is 
very, very little. Uh, so he's trying to rebuke human beings for their pretension, for their arrogance in pretending to know so much. And one of the things that he tries to refute in the essay is the notion that human beings are more intelligent than, more knowledgeable than animals. So he, he walks us through a discussion of a number of different animals, classes of animals like birds, tigers, that kind of cat, lions, and so forth, wild animals, essentially, and shows that in most respects, animals are as intelligent as human beings, and, they are, and, and further, they're, that they're capable of many things that human beings are not capable of. And sometimes these are just physical things, like birds are capable of flight, and, and many animals are capable of running much faster than human beings. But he's most interested in um, uh, animal intellect, in how much animals can think, and whether their thoughts and feelings are comparable to the thoughts and feelings of human beings. And his answer to that is, yes, that animals do feel and think at a level nearly that of human beings, at least the higher animals. He's not making this argument for insects or, or fish, but uh, the, the, the higher animals, he, he, he thinks the difference between animals and humans is not that great. And so if that's the case, then one of the arguments for the superiority of human beings to animals and the capacity of human beings to understand themselves in the world falls down. Mm. Um, it doesn't have a basis in reality, in, in truth of experience. Um, so that's what, he, what he's trying to show in his discussion of animals. But it, it produces a, a really remarkable defense of what came to be regarded as uh, much, much later as the rights of animals. I mean, he's he's really interested in the issue of cruelty to animals and, and the indefensibility of cruelty to animals. So he's he looks remarkably modern at this moment in, in his essay. So he's going through a long list of animals and talking about what philosophers have said about animals and so forth. And he gets to the example of the cat. So he's he's talking here about what he's calling the, the supposed brutishness of animals and, and presumably their inability to to think is proof of their anim animality. The fact that they're they're brutes and they're and they're not um, comparable to human beings. He says, by what comparison from them to us doth uh, he and he's he means mankind here conclude the the brutishness that he as uh, ascribes mankind ascribes to animals. Uh, and I, I'm translating from a 16th century translation, so bear bear with me and in the translation of a translation. Um, when I am playing with my cat, uh, who knows whether she have more sport in dallying with me than I have in playing with her. And this is a sentence that, uh, that kind of leaps out of the essay and, and people have remarked on it ever since. It is so something about that, the recognition of the mutuality of the the play hmm. struck people, I think, rightly. Readers of Montaigne, and uh, you know, in his time, and all the way into our own, as extremely perceptive. But when you try to think a little bit about this, it's, it's not easy to say why this particular example works in the way that it does. And th the way that I've been trying to think about it lately is by asking the question of why a cat. If Montaigne had chosen to say this about a dog. 
I think it would have been much easier for people to say, well, of course, dogs are playing with us. That's really easy to see. Dogs are much more expressive of their emotions. They're very emotional animals than, uh, than cats. So if you think about it, the, the example wouldn't have worked as well if he had said a dog rather than a cat. And why is that? It's something about the nature of the cat that Montaigne is is fixing on here, is drawing on, is interesting. And I and I think it's this. I think it's that for humans, even though we live at close quarters with cats, we really don't know what they're thinking or feeling. Here I would adduce the contemporary example of YouTube videos, cat videos. Okay. And uh, I, I'm a, I, I, like everyone else, I love cat videos. And I also love cats, although I'm an owner of dogs, not cats right now. It strikes me if you want to compare cat videos and dog videos, then I would say that cat videos are funny because we don't know what those cats are thinking. Okay. You know, they're just standing on the floor and then, then all of a sudden their claws are attached to the ceiling. And you don't know what happened. You don't know what, what was going on. So, so cats are funny because we don't know what they're thinking or feeling. Whereas with dog videos, dogs are very funny, I think deeply funny, but it's because we know what they're thinking. We know what they're feeling. They're trying to do something and they're failing to do it. And that becomes funny for us. They're on the inside of a divide between us and the animal world. We've somehow taken dogs in so that they can communicate with us and, they, and we communicate with them easily. But cats know. And I think that's crucial to the historical significance of cats because they are creatures who are semi-domesticated. We live with them, and yet they remain strange and wild to us. And they're capable of being demonized because we, we don't know what they're thinking. So we, all, we suspect, is this cat, does this cat really love me or is it, is it thinking about eating me? So cats are on the other side of that divide between the human and the animal. And what Montan is trying to do here, it seems to me, is to humanize the cat, trying to, to, to rescue the cat from that perception of otherness and alienness and animality that cats have typically been described as embodying, and to bring the cat into the, the human community uh, in a relation that's mutual and playful in the manner in which human beings play. So I think that's how I would describe what's going on with it and what makes Montaigne's use of the cat interestingly unique, not like the role that cats have been assigned so often in Western thought, thinking about the context of Halloween, the way in which they have been associated with the devil, and they are often seen as embodiments of the devil. The devil takes the form of a cat and so forth. Montaigne wants to bring the cats in to the human community and to credit them with the kind of thoughts and feelings that human beings have. Now, you may not be convinced by this. I, I know lots of people who can't stand cats and who are still suspicious of them and think they are, they are thinking all the time about eating us, um, whereas you never, you never think that about dogs. Anyway, it's a great moment in a very complicated text at a, at a difficult historical moment when people were trying to decide, well, what is, what is, going, what is our relation to animals? How much do we want to credit their thoughts and feelings? 
So, so Montaigne makes a statement, I think, that's pretty amazingly modern, pretty amazingly contemporary. So that, there we go. There's my, there's my take on Montaigne's cat. I love the idea that the cat is inscrutable, right? Yeah. That, yes. Yeah. 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 And that what we find funny about cats is that we don't know what they're mm-hmm. thinking in those YouTube videos. No, we don't. We don't. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, you're more than welcome. Thank you. Uh, it was wonderful. And goodbye, listener. Thank you for listening about cats. Happy Halloween. And don't forget to vote. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonic Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams edits our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.